Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. You're up first. Hi, this is Norma. And this is Priscilla. And you're listening to... It's the mystery for me. Really? You had to switch it up and do me? Yeah. at it again with the back at it again welcome to episode 15 y'all you you ain't gonna greet the people norma welcome okay thanks for tuning in yes because you know listenership is going up exponentially as ti would say oh gosh yeah oh gosh he has his own issues so let's i guess leave that alone okay so I mean, before we dive in, just an update as far as the Chioma Gray case goes. If you were listening to that one, it's the one basically where she goes to Mexico, or rather she's kidnapped and taken to Mexico by her much older boyfriend, Andrew Joshua Tafoya, you know, the one that couldn't choose which name he wanted. Mm-hmm. So apparently they have a YouTube channel with the last video being about a year ago during the pandemic. Well, we're still in the pandemic, so. But, you know, during, like, the, the, height. the oh. height of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it turns out they have two kids together. That's wild. Yeah, and by looking at the girl, the little girl, she looks like she could be at least four or five. And then they have some, like, the other kid looks like possibly, like, a year old or less. Very interesting. And thank you to our listener, LaToya, for bringing that to our attention. She sent us an email just flagging that. So we do appreciate that. I got to put some Google alerts on, I guess, all the episodes we do, just in case there is an update. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That way I can keep y'all in the loop and keep us in the loop, right? And if you come across any updates, feel free to email us or just email us to say hello. We have a lot of listeners from different places all over the U.S. and even in the U.K. I was looking at the statistical breakdown. Yeah. Like we're going international. Yes. International with it. So let's talk a little bit about what's happening in the true crime world right now. I'm sure people have heard about the Gabby Petito case. Have you heard about it, Norma? Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere right now. Literally on every channel. Every Mm -hmm. second, I'm expecting some sort of oxygen documentary, like by the end of the year. Um, So Gabby was, I guess, what, doing some sort of backpacking slash van van trip all over the country, the U.S., with her fiance. And he returned home without her, which was very strange. Very odd. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, there were a lot of other red flags, like. I think the day she went missing or maybe like two days before she was missing, 
she had gotten into some sort of altercation with her fiance and cops were called to the scene and there is body cam footage out there of Gabby Petito being talked to by the by the officer who detained her that officer must feel just guilty because he did let them go after the fact right and he but he did say that he wanted her to like spend the night somewhere else and not with her fiance. So he did emphasize that, but he must be feeling so much guilt right now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I say guilt because apparently they found her body and you know how they found it? Because a YouTuber who was constantly, I guess, you know, taking videos and all that of their journey of their own journey Mm-hmm. They were editing their video to put it up on YouTube, and they saw her van, or what looked like her van, in the background footage as they were editing their video. So they don't know Gabby, right? They're just like a random stranger, right? A random stranger who has a YouTube channel. They're editing their videos for the week, and they find footage of the van that supposedly Gabby and her fiancé had. So that, I mean, sent everything into a frenzy and they were able to find Gabby, apparently, and it is her remains. I don't know if they found her near the van or anything like that. I honestly haven't looked into it. Um, I've heard just a little bit about the case from TikTok. I'm always on there. The Internet has become such a powerful instrument in solving crimes. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, there are TikTokers out there that see the footage or see what's going on. And then they're leaving comments about knowing this person or knowing that person. One person even made a video about how she picked up Gabby Petito's fiance. Like he was hitchhiking and she was talking about her experience, like right around the time, apparently of the disappearance. She's like, wait a minute. Wow. I saw this man. So TikTok videos are reaching very far and wide. And it's just interesting to see the effects it's having on true crime. Yeah, because each individual person is basically, like, an investigator. Literally. And I think a lot of people are just as obsessed with true crime. Not really, but they're fascinated by it, and they really want to help. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a few code cases getting solved because of TikTokers. So we've gone through the updates. We've said all we had to say. And now we're headed into a new episode about a new case For this particular case, I actually was like working one night. I had gone into my mom's room and my mom is always watching something true crime related. Okay, like literally only on Oxygen or ID Discovery. And if not that, then maybe she's watching like Married at First Sight or, you know, The Bachelor when that's on. Mm hmm. Or uh, what is the other one? 90 Day Fiance. Yeah. But she is a true crime like. Like. Just super fan. Yeah, that's who we got it from. Literally. So I go into her room and she knows that, okay, our podcast is focused on black females. And she told me like, hey, this case is about to start. This show is about to start. And it's about a black girl. And I was like, really? So I start watching it a little bit and I can't stand there and just watch it the whole time because I'm like, okay, I got to. Well, it's like late at night. I didn't have to really work, but I was like, all right, like. I think I was about to film with you a different episode. Yeah. Yeah. So I just jotted it down. I Googled it, though, before I left the room. And I was like, oh, my goodness, we have to cover this case. And my mom wanted me to tell her what happened. And I was like, nope, you got to watch it. And she finished the episode. And she came to me later 
without Norma being the room because I told her, please don't say anything in front of Norma. I need Norma's real reaction. And she was just like, I cannot believe how this case turned out and blah, 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 blah. So just buckle up, you guys, because this one is this one is going to make you just I don't know, just like the other cases, just be like, why, why, why? Mm -hmm. Okay, so. All right, let's talk about like just the research I did um, because I always give props where props are due because without these sources, I'd, I would not be able to piece together the story. I would not be able to sell it for y'all. So, of course, I watched the episode on oxygen and it's called Buried in the Backyard. And I want to say it's season three, but I will link the exact episode on the show notes, which is on our website. Um, the show notes, basically, if you look at wherever you're listening to like the show description it'll say what the episode is about right under that there should be a link to the site and that's how you can get to the show notes and like pictures etc so of course i also read articles and let me tell you these articles spilled so much tea that was not on the episode i was just like this is just it just made the case even crazier honestly so Norma at this point is like, what is happening? What are you about to get me into? It's just, Literally. it's a ride. It's definitely going to be a ride, you guys. And you know what? Without further ado, I'm not going to keep talking. I'm, I'm going to start Let's talking about the case. It. Let's get into it. This is the Shelley Turner case. Shelley Lachey Turner was born on March 15th, 1975. At the time of her death, she was living in Philadelphia, the northwest part of Philly. I was just in Philly. Yeah, you were. I was. Let's talk more about, like, who Shelley was as a person. What was she up to? She was a senior at William Penn High School. She was 17 years old, and she was a track star. Yeah, she's a runner. She's a track star. She gonna run away when it gets (laughs) No, but she was a real track star, y'all. She was like, I mean, leaving people in the dust. She was being recruited by top colleges like Clemson University for track. And she had to she was basically waiting to see how she was going to do on the SAT Mm. to make sure like she could actually go to these schools. But if she wasn't going to be able to go to those schools, she had other schools lined up like ready to give her a full ride. So running was her passion. She was five, nine and one hundred and thirty pounds. So my height, but not my weight. (laughs) Right, right. She's tall. Very tall. Tall and beautiful. So she definitely was a team player. I think her team really relied on her for that kind of like encouragement and to provide that kind of energy and aura you need going into a track meet. She was kind of that person that brought that and brought everybody together. As far as her home life goes... Shelly lived with her sister, Clara. I don't know how old Clara was, but I know she was younger. And she lived with her mom and her stepdad, Clarence. She did have an older sister. I'm not sure of her name, but it was mentioned because anytime Shelly like, was at a track meet or like out late, she was told that she had to send a message to her sister's beeper. And that message had to be like her birthday or something like that. I read that in the Sun Centennial article, by the way. But... Yeah, so that's the most information I saw about her older sister. But she did live with her younger sister, her mom, and Clarence. 
Her friends say that Shelly had aspirations of eventually running in the Olympics one day. She was just Mm -hmm. that type of go-getter, like, hustler. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it done. I got to be the best. I am the best. She had that kind of mentality. And she was good. Like I said, she was leaving people in the dust. She was winning, winning, winning. That's all she knew how to do. Shelly had a promising career. She had a lot to look forward to as she finished up her senior year and went into her, you know, freshman year at college. But unfortunately, she would not ever get the opportunity to do that, to fulfill her dreams. It was cut short. Let's talk a little bit about the night of her disappearance. Shelly told her mom that she was going to a party at a hotel with her teammates. But instead, she decided that she was going to go see her boyfriend, Sean Williams. Mm. He was a new boyfriend, you know, just, you know, starting out and everything. But before she met up with him, she went to her best friend's house, Andrea. Andrea is also interviewed on the show, and you could just see the pain in Andrea's eyes as she talks about Shelly and stuff. It's just like, it was really, really hard to watch because Mm -hmm. you could just see how much this case affected her. Because, of course, this was her best friend. So for her, Mm -hmm. it's like more than a case. This is a, you know, this is her, like other hand like right hand you know Mm -hmm. Shelly goes to Andrea's house and she shows up in an outfit that Andrea describes as very eclectic like very out there she said that Shelly was not really matching and she was almost like girl you about to see your man like let me get you right let me grab another (laughs) jacket for you where we've all kind of been in that situation right you're gonna help your friend out if you see them like You know, you're not really matching. So she goes into her dad's closet and grabs, like, her dad's leather jacket and gives it to um, Shelly. And Shelly throws the leather jacket on, and she's on her way. At this point, you might be thinking, like, what year are we in? My bad, I should have said that. We are in 1993, y'all. We are in 1993. We have taken a step back into the past. And it's January of 1993. Um... The night of her disappearance, when everything is happening, is actually a Sunday night. So she leaves um, Andrea's house and she goes on her way to meet up with her boyfriend. So at this point, Monday morning rolls around and Shelly misses her track meet. This is a track meet that apparently was the biggest meet of the season. Shelly is not the type to miss track meets. Like, she might have missed one or two in her, like, three-plus years on the team. But this was the biggest meet of her season. It's her senior year. She ain't going to miss this. Yeah. Even when she left Andrea's house, she said to her, like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be at the meet. Like, don't worry. I'm just going to hang out for a little bit, and I'm going to go straight home and, you know, relax before the meet. So at this point, I mean, it's a red flag to everybody. Like, why isn't she here? Eventually, her mom reports her missing because her mom is just super concerned at this point. Like, where's my kid? Like, this isn't like her. And the cops actually do not think she's a runaway. I know we are used to hearing that the cops think that. But in this case, they don't think that because they're like, she has a lot going for her, right? Like, this was going to be her biggest meet. She loves running. Like, she's been running since she was seven, actually. Like, she started out wow. She started out doing it for church or something church-related. But she's been doing it a long time. It's her passion. 
Um, so they're just like, we don't see her as being someone who's going to run away and, and throw away all those, yeah. you know, throw away I all that all she's that. like worked hard for. Yeah. So at this point, like the search is on and her mom is on TV just pleading with everybody. Please, if you know something like, please say something, please help bring my daughter home. I think this is a this is the part where I should probably get into the suspects and kind of lay some things out for people. The first suspect is her boyfriend, right? Sean Williams. She said she had gone out to hang out with him. She told her mm-hmm. best friend, Andrea, that. And Sean Williams is brought in for questioning. This isn't surprising because this is definitely routine when it comes to any type of like missing persons investigation. Sean says that he did hang out with her that night, that they hung out till like the wee hours of the morning, like one in the morning or something like that. But he made sure to bring her to the bus stop. And he made sure she got on the bus. He watched her get on the bus. He, sh- he watched the bus drive away. He was basically saying, I did everything right that a significant other should do. I made sure she was on the bus. Everything was fine. That's how I left her. So the cops did some digging, of course, and they determined that Sean was telling the truth. They went ahead and talked to the bus driver that night and even a passenger that was on the bus. And they both said that they saw Shelly on the bus. She was by herself and that she was dropped off at like 60th and Girard or some, something like that. Now, this particular block of Philadelphia is kind of dangerous, but but nothing like but I read an article that said basically like, OK, there are more dangerous parts, but still there were like abandoned houses there and stuff like mm. that. And you're a female walking in the night. It's at this point, probably two in the morning. You're six blocks away from home ish. I mean, it, it it's it's not a recipe for like the best of circumstances, Right. Right. So there's that. But at least they were able to, like, cross him off the list and be like, okay, he was telling the truth. She got on the bus. She got off the bus. She was walking towards her house. So at least they could place her somewhere near her house. Right. The next person they looked to was her track coach, Coach Hickey. He was known to basically train the girls of the track team, of course, but also, like, train them individually And so they were wondering if something more sinister had occurred. Like, did he take a liking to her? Was there something else going on there? Um, And Coach Hickey was very forthcoming with the police officers, just like her boyfriend was as well. And I mean, he answered all of their questions and they were able to rule him out. He had a solid alibi. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the alibi is. They did not go into it on the show. Okay. I'm just wondering why he was even questioned. Like, does he have a past of having some sort of inappropriate relationship with? No, but I think, I mean, if you're a guy, okay. I think what people are going to think of honestly is like, they're going to think immediately about gender. He's a male coaching an all female track team at the school. So they're Mm -hmm. just wondering, you know, we hear stories all the time about, like inappropriate relationships happening yeah. between teachers and students or other members of facu- faculty at the school, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's far-fetched for them to like ask him questions. No, I don't think it's far-fetched. I was just like wondering if there was something that led to that, like one of the teammates coming forward and saying like, hey, something um, was kind of weird there. Nope. Okay. Nope. 
They're at least not that they said on the show. Yeah. Um, and I will say Coach Hickey had like an impeccable record also when it came to like track and stuff like his team was also like always ranked nationally at the time. Like he had been coaching at the school for 10 years at that point. Mm-hmm. So his like, you know, his record was stellar. But of course, that's not to say that you can't still do these things. Right. And be involved in like, you know, egregious acts and whatnot. But I'm just saying I just want to like say a little bit about like what he had going on as a coach. Um, but he was crossed off the list and they did move on to the next person. Now, before I tell you guys like who the next suspect is, I want to tell you something that her friend noticed, her best friend, Andrea. She said that one day she was out and about and she saw Clarence, who is Shelly's stepfather, come out of her house, meaning, you know, Shelly's house. She saw him come out the house wearing a leather jacket. The same leather jacket she had lent to Shelly. Wait, what? Yes. How is that possible? Right. That is. So now we're filling in the blank a little bit. We know that Shelly was on her way home. So if he has a leather jacket, that means that Shelly made it home. Or at least he was in some sort of contact with Shelly. Right. So that means like. Shelly made it to somebody after the fact. Yeah. So this really ruled out like her boyfriend at the time. I'm sorry. Does her best friend live like on the same block or near where she lives? I think she lives nearby. I don't know. I don't remember them emphasizing this on the show or in articles I saw, but Mm. like in articles I read, but I'm, I'm guessing based off of this, she must've lived nearby where she could kind of see what's going on. Why would he be wearing the jacket, though? That's so weird. I know. So the cops thought this, too, right? And so the cops bring him in for questioning. And when they ask him about the leather jacket, I'm not kidding, guys. He had, like, no idea. Clarence was like a deer in headlights. Like, he could not understand the significance of the jacket. He's just like, I just saw a jacket and put it on, y'all. That's it. I saw a jacket in my house and I put it on. And they honestly believed him because they were just like, he just seemed like really confused by the whole situation and the significance of it. I'm sure they explained to him the significance and he's probably like, oh, crap. But his explanation was like, it was in the house. I put it on and I left the house. So at this point, they are hitting just dead end after dead end. And if you're wondering, no, they have not found Shelly yet. They have not found Shelly yet. They cannot find like any leads and to them that's troubling because now she has been missing for a few weeks for many weeks at this point at least two weeks and just an fyi by the time she's found it's been 33 days by the time she's found so she's she's missing for a significant amount of time the police did something very peculiar for this type of case they brought in a psychic They brought in a psychic, y'all, which is different because a lot of police officers won't go to psychics, but then some Mm -hmm. do. I don't know. Well, for some reason, they decided we're going to call on this psychic. Her name is Valerie Morrison. She is in Philadelphia. She's still working and she's still taking appointments, y'all. Okay, I I might have tried to make her an appointment with her. I might have tried after reading about this case, but I don't know if I'm going to go through with it. I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is so... I, I'm, I've always been into psychics, side note. But anyways, 
they basically go to her and say, can you tell us, you know, try to help us on this case and tell us what you know or what you feel. And she starts telling them that she feels very, very cold, like that Shelly would feel very cold, that that's what she's seeing, like her feet are like barefoot um, and it's just ice cold. So at that point, I'm like, uh, that sounds to me like Shelly's dead, right? The Mm -hmm. way she's describing her. Then she says something about Shelly having marks on her head and that it looks like a homicide. That's her sign for homicide. I got all this info from the Southern Chester County Weeklies. They did like a whole piece on this specific part of the case where the psychic is brought in. So if you want like word for word of what, you know, what Valerie told the cops and stuff like that, I encourage you to read it because the episode on oxygen does not, I repeat, does not mention this. Like it mentions it like a little bit, but when you read the article, it really is like kind of mind blowing the things that she's saying. Because at this point in time, when she's saying these things, Shelly has not been found yet. Well, hold on to your horses, y'all, because this part is really, really creepy. Well, she basically asks the cops, can I go to the house? Can I see Shelly's room? Like, I just want to, you know, get a feel for things. And they say yes. And they ask Shelly's mom, whose name is Vivian King, by the way. They ask her if they can come to the house. And she says, fine, come in. So she's there, and then she asks if she can go to Shelly's room and lay down in her bed. So the mom's like, okay, I'll go with you. And the cops waited downstairs while they went upstairs. So, okay, she goes into the room. She lays down on the bed. And I'm reading directly from the article at this point. The mother, meaning Shelly's mom, starts crying and said, somebody took my baby. Valerie suddenly felt herself feeling numb and turning in Shelly and telling herself, my mother was very angry. I was very happy getting ready for bed. Mother said, where were you? I was shaking. I felt the house, but not alone. This is literally what it says. Like I felt, I think they meant I left the house, but not alone. I was freezing. I was cold. It was snowing and snow on the ground. My free, my feet was freezing again, grammatical error, but that's what they said. I feel the ruffling of the trees. I was shivering, pleading, begging, then darkness, seen fallen. I see water. It's holy water. Valerie then suddenly ascended into the light. She then grabs Shelly's mom's hand and says, Mommy, tell me where, tell them where you put me. Tell them where you put me, Mom. I'm sorry, what? Okay. This is literally what the psychic said. So she's describing Shelly again. She's describing what's happening with Shelly. Apparently Shelly is home. She leaves the house, blah, blah, blah. She, I, I'm not kidding. Y'all read this online. Y'all can read this online. She grabbed Shelly's mom's hand and said, mommy, tell them where you put me. Tell them. And the mom screamed so loud the cops were like, what the hell is going up, up, going on upstairs? Like, what is going on? They come downstairs, rushing downstairs. And basically the mom is like, get out of my house. Get out right now. Like, I don't want to talk to you guys anymore. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. I wish you all can see my face right now. Yeah, because it's literally insane. So at this point, Valerie is talking to the cops and she tells them, Basically, she knows where Shelly is. 
she told them exactly where she was. They she said, "Hey, I, I'm pretty sure she's in Fairmount Park. I saw something about holy water. I think she's near some sort of religious thing. Um, her feet. There's definitely no shoes on her feet. Again, I think this is a homicide. But they weren't going to go out and search based off the word of a psychic. They were just like, uh, no." I don't know what it is that made them eventually go out and search. Oh, yeah. Now I remember. They got a call from somebody who was walking their dog and found... In that area. In that same area. Well, let me... Okay, let me say this about the cops. This park is huge. It's like 9,000 acres or something crazy. Oh. Yeah, it's huge. But... So this dog walker is walking by and... And they see something covered with a tarp. And it looks like there might be blood on the tarp. And when they get closer, they realize, like, it's a human body. So they call it in, and it turns out it's Shelly. And they are in Fairmount Park, where the psychic said, and her body is found about 100 yards away from a religious statue. If that don't give y'all chills, I don't know what does. Shelly... Her mom apparently identifies her at the coroner's office and they proceed to have a funeral for Shelly. Of note, her, um, you know, the obituary. Is that how you say it? Obituary? Obituary? I don't know. Obituary. Okay. I don't know how to say it. Obituary. Of note, Shelly's like funeral pamphlet it says her birthday, like as the sunrise and sunset, it just says February 1993. That tells me that maybe they couldn't pinpoint the exact time of death mm-hmm. or day of death. Mm-hmm. But when Shelly went missing, it was around January 18th of 1993. So, okay. Like I said earlier, 33 days later, they found her body. This is when they start like kind of looking at the mom. Because at the funeral, she's seen smiling and asking people, how are you? And things like that. But there's other people pushing back and saying, like, you know, people grieve differently. Yeah, yeah. People grieve differently. Some people are going to cry. Some people aren't going to cry. Some people are going to, like, you know, try to be strong, et cetera. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not really a shoe-in. But her best friend watching this found it a little bit alarming um, that her mom was just so calm about it. Meanwhile, her best friend was, like, distraught, very depressed all of a sudden, um, of course, because her best friend is was murdered, mm-hmm. you know? Not only was she missing, now it's, like, confirmed, like, she is dead. Let's talk about the autopsy report and what they end up saying is the cause of death. So, cause of death was gunshot wound to a few parts of her body, but she was shot in the head. Oh, wow. She was shot in the chest. She was shot, it looked like, in one of her hands. Um, She had blunt force trauma to the side of her face. Basically, whoever did this wanted her dead. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because that's overkill. Yes. And in court, once they do try the killer, because this case is solved, it actually, the prosecutor says it was six shots. But... Basically, it was the multiple gunshot wounds that killed her. I'm just wondering how she ended up in the park. Like, I mean, we might get there, but I'm just saying, like... Oh, we'll get there. You know? But you know what's interesting? She always practiced at that park. Like, running, track, and everything. That was, like, her go-to spot. So, at this point, 
The mom is probably feeling the heat from the community because she goes on a radio show, a local Philadelphia station. I think it's by someone named Mary Mason. She's basically there to clear her name. Mm -hmm. She goes on this show to clear her name. On commercial break, the host asked her some. The host asked her a question about Shelly. Now, it's not clear what that question was because they were not recording at the time, but the mom gives like a weird answer, like just extremely detailed. And it frightens the host because she's thinking to herself, it's such detail that only a killer would know. Like the mom said something about Shelly and her hand being by her face, protecting her face or something like that. And that is how she was found. Now you might be thinking, well, maybe the cops told the mom that, and that's fair. That's fair. But there was something that the mom said that clearly bothered this host enough that she actually went to the police herself. And it's not clear via, you know, the episode or even in articles, like exactly what it was other than like maybe the hand being by her face and things like that. Um, But she found it concerning enough. She went to the cops about it and they were going to basically pull up on Vivian King, Shelly's mom, but she actually Mm -hmm. came to them first. And she was just saying, I'm tired of people just saying that I did this. I, you guys need to help me. Like, let's figure out a way to clear my name. And they said, okay, fine. Lie detector test? Let's give you a lie detector test. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And what happens when she takes the lie detector test, guys? She fails it miserably. At this point in their minds, they're like, they think she did it. And what does she do? She confesses and she says she did do it. She killed her daughter. I'm sorry, what? She killed her daughter. Now we're going to answer the questions you had earlier, like why Fairmount Park? So here's apparently what happened according to Vivian King's confession. She says that Shelly got home kind of late that night. She realized that Shelly had been out with her boyfriend, which she would not approve of, apparently. And Mm -hmm. that's why, you know, Shelly had said she was going to a party, etc. But that's typical teenage behavior. It's nothing like out of the ordinary but it just seems like Shelly and her mom just always had tension and that's what I forgot to mention earlier coach Hickey actually told the police when he was being interviewed that Shelly's home life was not what it seemed and that they need to look at her family Mm. but I think the police at this point just didn't have anything you know they didn't have any evidence to go on so they're just like They kind of took their time until basically Vivian showed her ass. And then there you go. Now we got you. So basically they're arguing in the room exactly like the psychic said. You know, she comes home. The mom's like, where have you been, et cetera. And basically Vivian says, "Um, you know what? I'm tired of you living in my house. I'm tired of dealing with you. I'm bringing you to the police station. You can go live somewhere else. So she makes Shelly get in the car. They go to the police station. But... She passes the police station and then instead she goes to Fairmount Park and she tells Shelly to get out the car and she basically tells her, you know, we're going to fight it out now. And I don't know what kind of scuffle ensued, but it seemed like the mom hit Shelly in the head with the gun that sent Shelly like kind of flying to the ground. And that's when she decided to shoot her daughter six times. And when she was done, she found anything nearby, in this case, a tarp, right? Like some sort of covering. And she put the covering on there and she left. 
and she went about her day. This is a sick person. Very sick person. And at the end of this confession, she laughed hysterically. So she like not okay in the head. I don't. At this point, I'm so confused because I'm like, like, what happened there? Like, remember, she has two other daughters. She has an older daughter and she has a younger daughter. What was this? Was she jealous of Shelly and all her success? Maybe. But even then, a mother? We talk every week about a random, obsessive person killing the person. Yeah. Sometimes, like, a husband. You know, I don't know if we've touched on a case where it's the own family member. It's your blood. I don't think we have. It's your own blood here doing this. If you can't trust your family, who can you trust? I mean, except for crazy eyes, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh right. We did talk about crazy eyes. We did do that, yeah. and he did do the same thing. I guess it just shows a pattern of, like, blood is not thicker than water all the time. So at her trial, she decided, first of all, to recant her statement, guys. And she did this for, I would only say, lawyer reasons, Okay. Because essentially all that the police had against her was her confession. They had nothing else tying her to the crime. Everything else was circumstantial evidence. They never found the gun and they never found the leather jacket. So they literally had nothing to tie her to the case other than her confession. So she's recanting it, but they still go to trial. They push ahead. And she even gets on the stand in her own defense. Yes, you are allowed to take the stand in your own defense. Mm-hmm. Most attorneys will advise you not to do that. Because then, like, you know, cross-examine you, you could get all, you know, mixed up with your words, and then you are definitely going to jail. Yeah. You know, so a lot of attorneys, defense attorneys, will keep you off the stand. But she decided to take the stand, and I, and I think they did it for a strategic reason. They wanted to paint her as a person who had had too many drinks that night, and had lost her temper. And in Philadelphia, if you commit murder and you are under the influence of something, in this case, alcohol, that lessens the first degree charge to a third degree charge, which means that you get less time. So at this point, they go to trial, she testifies, all that stuff. The jury comes back, y'all, and they say, yeah, we're not going to give her first degree murder. We gotta, we're going to give her third degree murder. Because it was hard for the jury to say, like, okay, if there wasn't alcohol involved, alcohol involved, she would still kill her daughter. They really believed that she wouldn't have killed her daughter if there was no alcohol involved. But I'm just saying, I think that this was just such an easy scapegoat. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like... You know what? I was drunk. I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to kill my daughter. It's like, but you, you were drunk, but you were, you know, good enough to say that you were going to bring her to the police station. You were able to drive the car there. You were able to cover her body, come back home. No accident. Like, huh? Make it make sense. That really doesn't make any sense at all. But it's okay because she's going to have to answer to somebody else one day, right? Like a higher power or something because this is just just horrible, horrific. 
So what is the sentence that she ends up getting? She gets sentenced to 10 to 20 years. Again, this is the early 90s at this point. And she served 11 years. And guys, she is out living her life in Philadelphia today. I don't even know what to say. Disappointing. Very disappointing. Do you know how many people were just felt so conned by her? So many news reporters who had been at her house, people who had watched her on TV pleading for her daughter's life. It's just like, it takes a really twisted person to be able to create that kind of narrative. When you know deep down, like, dude, it's It's you. you. You're the reason why she disappeared. Just bizarre behavior. Crazy. 11 years is not enough time and it'll never bring Shelly back. I'm curious to know how her relationship is with her other kids. Does she stay married to Clarence? Like, you know, these are, I feel mm-hmm. like these are hard things to find online, but maybe I need to take it to TikTok, right? Cause some people might know. Well, yeah, you never know. You know, some people might know what Miss Vivian King is up to. Cause I don't think she changed her name. So I mean, I know for where me and my mother murdered my sister, I wouldn't want to be near my mom. Right. Because I'm like, damn, well, what if she, you know, does that to me? Right. I mean. I would not want any sort of relationship. And I would be, like, hurt the entire time. Like, right. why did you kill my sister? I know. But you so. know what? I saw a case where, like, a son might have killed, like, his dad's wife. And the dad is still close with the son. He really doesn't believe he did it. Even though there are some, you know, there's some evidence that points to it. I forgot the name of the case, y'all, but. To to each their own. To each Um, their own. That is the twisty, turny case of Shelly Turner. I definitely was not expecting that. I don't think anybody was expecting that. I mean, we went from the regular list of suspects to the psychic. I mean, once the psychic got involved... With the whole, like, mommy, you know, tell tell them where you put me. Like, how creep? Can you imagine? But can you imagine? She probably, she probably screamed thought- because she was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, she like- probably thought, like, honestly, she was interested in the publicity of it. Yeah. She's thinking it's, like, all for fun. Right. She, she probably doesn't think it's serious. Yeah, she's like, so she's oh, like- they- I'm going to let her come in the house. She ain't going to know nothing, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And for her to reach out and grab her arm and say, mommy, tell them where you put me. I mean, she probably lost her mind. She's yeah. probably like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. I'm glad Valerie Morrison did that. Wow. Kudos to Valerie. Because mm-hmm. that was something else in that. I mean, that turned the case on its head and it yeah. really helped police officers out figuring out this case and stuff. And. Eventually, they were able to find Shelly's body, and I'm just happy they were able to lay her to rest. Her best friend, Andrea, says that during the time, you know, you know, between Shelly going missing and then ending up actually being murdered, she said that she was so depressed that she kind of was wondering, like, can I even go on in this life? And then it turned out that she was pregnant with a girl. And she feels oh, wow. like, yeah, she feels like Shelly tapped God on the shoulder and said, please send her her mm-hmm. daughter now because she needs a reason to live. Mm-hmm. She deserves to live the life that I, you know, I'm not able to live. I want her to live. And I felt like, wow, that was so profound and deep, you know? Yeah. And hopefully Andrea is healing from all of this and she's able to like put the pieces back together and same for Shelly's sisters. 
as well because I can only imagine, you know. As for Vivian King, shame on you, alcohol or not. I get people will say, humans, we all make mistakes. And blah, blah. No. That, that Shooting can't be someone six, six times, times is not a mistake. Right. You cannot categorize that as a mistake. I'm sorry, no. How can a mother do that to their child? So imagine mom watching this, her reaction. She was, like, disgusted. Yeah. She could not believe this. But, yeah, there's that. That concludes another Tuesday episode of Is the Mystery for Me? Of course, hit us up on social media. I think all of our pages are under It's the Mystery for Me, except for Twitter. I think it's like Mystery for Me pod. But leave us a review if you guys are intrigued by anything that we talk about. Or, you you know, you tune in every week or you look forward to it. I know I'm trying to find like the right words because it's like it's such a morbid topic, right? It's not like we look forward to it, Mm -hmm. but it's like I look forward to telling the stories and letting other people know, hey, like this happens. This, this happens. Yeah. Like the Gabby Petito thing, this happens in like black communities all the time. And we're going to tell you those cases too. Yeah. We're going to plaster those cases in front of you. So you can't, you know, you got to see what's happening in the community. It's just not, it's not getting as much coverage as the other cases, but it's happening. And also sending our well wishes to Gabby Petito's family as well, because at the end of the day, we don't want this happening to anybody. Mm-hmm. We don't want anybody, any family going through that kind of, like, tragedy of losing a child and just dealing with, you know, a kid being missing and all these things. Like, it's not okay. And to the people who do those things, just pure evil. Pure evil. And you got something coming for you. That's all. Right? Yeah. That's it. And that is our episode. So we'll see you guys next Tuesday for an all new episode. And keep tuning in. Keep tuning in and stay safe because the world is a spooky place. It's crazy out there. Period. Period.